0: hey everyone welcome to recovering you this is a podcast that will take you through a step-by-step guide of what you can expect when you enter into a world of recovery from addictive and compulsive behaviors you are here to learn how to change and we are here to give you the tools to get there hey guys thanks for coming back and joining me Uh, Once again, and you're not just joining me, you are joining a whole slew, a whole panel, a whole group of amazing guys in this season finale, season two of Recovering You. I, man, I, I keep getting more and more excited as these episodes go on because we just, I keep getting more people and more stories and it's just, it's growing and it's getting bigger and we are reaching more people, and I'm getting more comments and more exposure, and it's just, man, I'm just like so hyped about all this. And so what I really wanted to do, and I've been wanting to do this actually for for quite a while, I have been wanting to do a uh, a panel discussion with a bunch of mentors. As I've discussed in previous episodes, i I mentor uh, groups of men in the Men program. And I, I get to see their, their lives evolve and change. And it has been one of the coolest experiences of my life to be at the helm of someone else going through at like uh, Dallin and I spoke about, I think it was last week, uh, the Alma, Alma the Younger experience. When you get to see someone go through that change and um, the the struggle that they go through, but coming out on top and being just an entirely new and reinvented person who actually loves themselves and who can walk out the door happy and look in the mirror and be proud of who they see, man, to be a part of someone's story like that, there's there's nothing quite like it. And so what I've done is I've invented, invented, I have invited as many mentors as I could possibly get on this thing, and so I got four guys in here with me out of like the twelve that I invited. Um, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce them real quick, uh, and I'm gonna do first names only just because I we didn't go over who's cool with their last name being shared. But I got my man uh, my man Jeff, who I went through mentor training with, so I got to see him every week because we were going through classes and getting certified. Then uh, I got my boy Seth here as well he is actually the director over my area of uh, phoenix and so he's kind of my boss in the program and he's an amazing guy and steps in whenever uh, i'm lacking which so so he's stepping in every single week so <laughs> i'm i'm always lacking and uh seth is always stepping up and he's awesome and i got brian who doesn't believe in podcasts but he's on one currently <laughs> and uh he was actually He was the one that got into uh, the mentor program and kind of inspired me to follow suit. So he became an apprentice and then a mentor when I moved to Phoenix. And he was kind of the one that led me while I was still kind of uh, just fresh in my recovery. And then, as you all know, the man, the legend returning, Dallin. Um, always stepping up and willing to help and just bring such an awesome atmosphere and spirit and great humor to the podcast um so what's up guys all at once now all together now how's everyone doing
1: wonderful awesome. great.
0: great there they are so there's the panel what's we up, got what's awesome <laughs> okay so um we're, we, uh, I, I reached out and I got a little bit of input from people as to what they would ask a, a mentor of a recovery program. And so I'm, we're going to just kind of go through some of these questions because th- there's something really special about being a mentor of a group of guys. And I know I kind of touched on this right here in the intro. Why did you become a mentor? And like, has there been a really cool experience that has made it like so validating to be a mentor over a group of guys Any anyone, anyone want to jump in on that? Brian, Brian, why are you a mentor?
2: Um, well, first of all, Cameron, I really appreciate you inviting me on your podcast. Dude, I love having Um, you. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that I've been working on recovery from, uh, um, my addiction to uh, pornography for many, many, many years. And I've gone through many programs, uh, including the 12-step program done through our uh, our church. And uh, have had s- some limited success. And uh, for those of you, those that are familiar with the 12-step program, I really fell down every time I got to 10, 11, 12. I could not figure out how to keep moving forward and the maintenance steps and and uh getting the word out there and um so it came down to a phrase just kept on coming through my head when i uh the last battle that i lost was uh, whatever it takes i just got to do whatever it takes and so uh it's a little bit longer story but i ended up um getting exposed getting uh taught this uh program from by a therapist who's not directly involved in this program, but. Uh, it was it was something that that she really thought worked well so when got everything set up and i was doing all the the goals and and uh um really really learning how to pray and she told me she said you need to i'm going to discharge you you need to go start this program officially and become a mentor so i 100 percent joined this program um and i and learned a lot going through the the eighty four days process and the getting the the uh, manpower days, but that uh, that was my my goal. I already had some sobriety built up by the time I joined, and uh, um I joined went straight through um became an apprentice like you mentioned earlier, and once I had a class uh training, uh open up for the mentor i went and took it and uh, started a saturday morning opened up a saturday morning group um and uh, that kind of just segues into one of my best experiences there's this core of men in my group that they got pulled from other other classes because they were getting too large and it was kind of a growing pain for them but when we when we started uh sharing our experiences and um there was some some men that were uh pretty far along in their recovery some that were new some that were struggling with family uh relationships and 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 everything in between and everybody there had somebody further along in the process that had similar experiences as somebody that was early on in the process and it was just it, it was, that was the amazing, one of the amazing experiences that I had was having this uh, um, naturally come together in this environment where we could empathize with each other and, and work with each other and understand each other. And that was, that was really an amazing experience. That, and, and it still goes uh, that way it's just been an amazing experience and and being able to serve these men uh has been more helpful to me than i think uh i've been to them because that kind of helped me yeah uh it's kind of naturally become this maintenance uh service step that i was always missing at the end of my uh 12 steps i was working on over and over again so that's that's that. my story
0: I, I love that, man. I, uh, one, one thing I want to point out that I, I love that you said in there is that you said you 100% joined the program. Now, when someone says they 100% joined a program, they are like cannonballing into recovery. They are committing their lives to a new type of lifestyle to live differently, to evolve and to grow and to fully commit to a change. And so I, I love that you said that. And then I love that you pointed out the accountability that being a mentor poses for someone there's a lot of times that you'll be on the threshold of like man no one's gonna know if i lose a battle and then you remember except all the men in my group that i will have to show up and face up to and say guys i know i'm supposed to be your leader but i screwed up and there is there is something very hard and very difficult and very humbling about like knowing that you're gonna have to face that kind of music like in my opinion, it's easier to go and talk to a bishop than it is to tell your group of men that you have failed them in that sense. And so, yeah, it absolutely holds you to this higher standard. So thank, thank you for that, Brian. Uh, Dallin, you had something you wanted to put in there.
3: Yeah. Um, kind of piggybacking off what Brian was talking about. Um, my, my reasons for becoming a mentor and my reasons for staying a mentor are, are different, but, um, my reasons for becoming a mentor were, were, entirely selfish, right? I <laughs> um, I graduated from the program, I think two times. Um, and when I, when I went through the program and I was doing my daily manpower rituals, et cetera. And then I would get to a point where I'd be like, you know what, I think I'm good. I can just go off on my own. I don't need to keep coming to group every week. I'll be fine. And then I'd leave and I'd last about a year um, and then I'd lose a battle and I'd start going downhill real quick. Be like, oh, I gotta get back into it. Then I got back into it. And then the second time I was like, you know what? This time I'm, I'm getting married, and getting married solves all your pornography addiction problems, right? <laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> man. you never get tempted again after you're, you're married. never. Oh, yeah, never.
1: totally, never. Uh-uh.
3: All yeah, that's it, just totally goes away. So, and, and hopefully, you can hear the sarcasm in our voices. Cause that's, that's not true <laughs> anyway. So yeah, a year into that, I would left the program again, thought I could handle it by myself and, and lost again. Finally, the third time I came back, I was like, I got to stop leaving. This is really bad. I am at war, but I'm deserting my unit. I'm just pretending like I'm not on a battlefield and I'm getting absolutely demolished because that, I, dude, that's great I'm, imagery. I'm, Yeah, I'm ignoring that that I'm in a fight. That there's an enemy trying to destroy my happiness and the happiness of my family. And I and I have too much to lose now. And so um, the third time I came back, I was like, I'm I'm going zero to hundred real quick. I'm gonna graduate from the program again, and then I'm gonna become a mentor and a personal warrior trainer. And I'm gonna get into school and become a psychologist, and then we get a master's degree and become a clinical therapist. And I'm never leaving the war again. And since then, my life has been so much better. To just To just get involved in the work and then staying as a mentor has become less about me and more about um, the fact that it is so, and I'm sure we'll hit on this more. It is so rewarding and empowering and and joyful to, to see men turn their lives around and to see the joy return to their eyes and to see them gain control again and then to see them turn around and give that control to Heavenly Father and start being in a tool and an instrument in his hands it's it's my favorite thing ever um and recently i've had several guys graduate from the program and i'm sending a bunch of guys off on missions this summer and my life is just so happy it's so full because of this this work um that i'm involved in and i could i i I will never let it go because of that it's
0: so fulfilling
3: i love it so um anyway that's kind of my short statement on
0: that yeah, so so you see that we uh we have those that commit to this kind of uh, mentorship as just you know they they really want to bless the lives of others and hold themselves accountable and really commit to this change, and then you have those that are in it for the money, like Dallin. So yeah, <laughs> they, tons, they jump and tons of it. money. <laughs> yeah, but, Piles no, of cash. but 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 that also it does show just how just how powerful the examples of others and seeing their lives change, like it's intoxicating. And to the point that you can get so wrapped up in this and love it so much that you're like, you know what? I'm just going to make this my career. I'm going to go to school for this and I'm going to commit my life to not only living my life this way, but to guiding others to live their life this way as well. So um, yeah, I think that's awesome, Dallin. I had to tease you just a little bit there. And can I just really quick on that? Yeah, I, there
3: was, there's moments in my addiction where, um, I was doing everything I knew how to do and just beat my head against a wall. And I remember several prayers where I was like, heavenly father, I do not understand. I am giving this my entire effort and my whole being, and I am not successful and I feel like a failure and I, and I, I feel like there's no way out of this. And the answer to that prayer was you need this experience because one day someone else is going to need this experience. And I just, once I realized that, 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 that my trials were going to be not just for my own benefit for, but so that I could empathize with other people and and their hardship, it's changed my perspective, awesome. um, dramatically. And it's, I mean, I've had some of my most meaningful experiences have been not the times where guys have been so successful, but the times that guys are failing, because I know what it's like, and I know how hard it is, and um, and I'm so grateful for that journey, and the journey I'm continually on, um, because it's it's
0: lonely if you don't do it together. Jeff, you uh, you had something you wanted to uh, to add there as well.
4: Sure. Uh, yeah, for me. When I started the Mena program, Moroni program um, and my personal warrior trainer kind of put the vision for me that I could do coaching like him. And I was like, man, that sounds awesome. So that was the thing that I was really excited about. So um, that's what I wanted to do first. I wasn't really that interested in becoming a mentor. I was invited by um, some group leaders different times and I wasn't really planning to do that. Um, and then a year or two later, I was in a clinician led group and I felt that I wanted to have a group for like YSAs, or I was a YSA at the time. <clears throat> but I was interested in trying to lead a group as a single person type thing and help other single guys too, and uh, that mm-hmm. were like in their twenties. And so I decided to switch over and become an apprentice and become a mentor in that and. I have not done that thing that I started for. And it's been awesome. I've been really grateful that I've had a chance to do that. Some of the stuff that, again, I guess, selfish reasons. I think that's why anyone starts doing most things. There's something that they're getting out of it or else we wouldn't do most stuff. God created us in an awesome way where serving others helps us too. So super grateful for that one. Um, But yeah, it's just been an awesome experience. The most recent exciting stuff to me Is I, when I first became a mentor, I really wanted to master the material myself and teaching it. So I like taught most of the lessons um, that I could. And after doing that kind of once through, I've just really tried to emphasize giving other people opportunities to teach and whatever. And it's been awesome to see other people lead the discussions because just from one of the things that I've been studying recently, because I just love this stuff about change and how do you change habits? How do you become a different person, everything? And one of the biggest insights I got from this guy was that ultimately it comes down to how we see ourselves and our identity shifting, that I no longer see myself as the person that I used to be, but I see myself as a different person. And having the opportunity to teach and share and lead has helped shift my identity to see myself differently than i did before when i was struggling so uh, giving other people the opportunity to do that too is exciting Yeah.
0: yeah that goes that goes back to that that quote "Twas i but tis not i um i i absolutely love that concept of seeing yourself and recognizing who you were and uh understanding who you are now due to the changes you've been through so thank you jeff all right seth did you have did did i see you raise your hand
1: yeah um Yeah, When I started this program, um, I grew up in a family that moved around a lot, and uh, I really didn't trust or feel that I could connect with anybody, that I had to do everything on my own, and that if I didn't do it on my own, I wasn't good enough, Um, and so when I joined this program, um, you know, my wife was curled up in a ball 20 hours a day, basically, because of betrayal, trauma, and things. And I was trying to do anything to save my marriage. And it was probably, a, I don't know, a month in, um, I put out a message on our chat group and uh, said, um, you know, that I was having a really hard day. And one of the mentors called me and he's like, well, how long has this been going on? And i was like two, three days. And the question he asked me was, so you just like getting your butt kicked around, huh? You won't trust anybody else. You just like getting your butt kicked alone. And it really woke me up. And from that point on, I made sure that I called one guy every day in group. And it made such a difference for me. And then I got to where I would, in my study every day, pray about help me find something to share with somebody today. Help me find something that I can bless somebody else's life with. And then praying and asking who needs help and having names come to mind and calling them. and sometimes it was, "Oh my gosh, I needed somebody right now." And other times it's okay, I've got no idea why you that name came to mind. But recognizing that the Lord could use me and throughout being a mentor, there have been so many experiences where those things, the things that helped somebody, the things that I said were never things that would have come from my mind and recognizing how much the Lord is involved and how much the Lord loves these other men is so, so powerful. And I love being able to be his hands and touch the lives of some of my brothers and hopefully help them find it earlier than I did and not wait as long and not destroy themselves and their marriages as long. Um, but one of the, the coolest things is hearing something that you told somebody that they, you know, were like not understanding, come back through somebody else and hear that it went through like two or three different people. And it was, and it's made a difference in multiple lives and they're sharing it now. And that is so, so cool.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, okay. So, so something really cool that's, I know, like, I'm just like, dude, so much spiritual power coming through right now. And I, and I love it. I love that this is almost like a great way to get to know each of these guys on the panel. And this is such an awesome like intro segment. And and what I love that you said there, Seth, and what what I've realized that is kind of an underlying foundation to each of our stories is the reason that we become mentors is because there is power in turning your life over to the hands of Heavenly Father and saying, look, I'm willing to be an instrument in your hands. I'm willing to be there for someone that needs me in their life. And, you know, basically saying, I'm yours, um, put me to work. And when you do that, you lose that part of yourself that was so susceptible to every single temptation and whim that pushed you to do something wrong. And now you find yourself listening to the whispers of the spirit that tell you, to do something right to be there for someone to show up and those names cross your mind and those you look into people's eyes and you can see that they need help and that's that that's why being a mentor is something so captivating so gravitating for men like these that are that are here with me today is that this gift is given to those people that choose to become mentors that they are, you're, you're able to look into the souls of other people and see them as God would see them. Not as those people that are making mistakes or failing, but as choice, amazing children of heavenly father that just have a struggle in their life and you get to be a part of their awesome story and recovery. So yeah, Seth.
1: Well, and I think as well is recognizing how many times something that's come up as a thought to share with somebody then makes me adjust something in my life. Um, Recognizing, oh man, I see how that plays in my story. And so, you know, as we're helping somebody else, um, we're able to find the things that we may have been missing for ourselves and it makes it so much better as well and the 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 different times where somebody doesn't understand what you're saying and then you have to think of another way to say it and all of a sudden it pops in or it makes connections for you that you'd never realized before and it just gives a whole new perspective sometimes
0: all right well let's uh thank thank you guys for all your thoughts um great answers Great ideas. And I think people, uh, I think this leaves people with a really good idea of what it, what it means and the kind of mentality it takes to, uh, to become a mentor. Um, Let's get into a couple of stories. Are there any powerful experiences that you've had while being a mentor that have really just kind of had a a major impact or that have left you kind of in awe of other people's stories that you just, you just sit back and you're like, wow, I can't, I can't believe I got to be a part of this. Like this was incredible. Yeah, Seth.
1: There's a a guy who I work with who's dealing with um, same sex attraction. And uh, I was traveling, and I said, "Hey, let's get together, which is something I like to do as I travel um, is meet up different guys that are in that area. And uh, you know, I said, "Hey, let's get together." And when I went over to meet him, he's like, "Are you sure you're okay with this?" And um I was like, "Yeah, of course, I called you, but I told that story to somebody else and they're like, can you imagine the shame he must be living with? And I remember talking to him and how often he's like, not man enough. I'm not enough. And because he's trying to deal with this and just realizing the shame and the, the, the struggles that so many people have really makes a huge difference to get to know them and it was so powerful to just be able to be a friend because it was quite obvious that he didn't feel like he could ever have people be comfortable around him if they knew and he was just like are you
0: sure you're okay and i'm like yeah i'm good <laughs> and and that's what that's what's so cool about being being where each of us has been you know therapists are great and and a lot of therapists have, have been through their own stories of recovery and so not, not bashing on them or discounting what they do at all, but there is something powerful about something who's someone who's been there, who's been down that, that, that their own personal road to hell that they've had to go through and then work back out of that people can sit down and have a conversation with and say, you're someone safe that I know I can share this part of myself with and I will not be judged. And it, it just, it removes that burden that people don't have to feel that shame and that judgment. Like you said that someone said, can you imagine the shame they're dealing with? And it's like, you know, but here's the cool thing. With me, they didn't feel shame because I never projected it onto them. And nor did it even cross my mind that what they were going through or what they were doing in their life was something that they should be ashamed of. I never even had those thoughts. So when people tell me things like like what happened with you, when when they confide in me about these vulnerable things, the thought never crosses my mind. Like, whoa, dude, you are way far gone. Like I'm not even comfortable being around you. If anything, I go, dude, what a powerful story. Like, oh my gosh, this is a freaking warrior. This person is amazing. And I'm so glad I get to be a part of this story and I, and I get to be in invested into this dialogue. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Jeff, what's up, man?
4: I guess it mainly just what you said at the end of just being part of other people's stories no matter how you are um, having this opportunity to get to know people hear their struggles see their successes um, it's just amazing giving like what Seth has talked about before throwing some ideas out there and someone's like captures it and acts on it and their life just changes yeah. and it's just so cool, like has been said to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord. And when I was a missionary, I mean, before and during and after, all I just have wanted to do is that type of work, being involved in something that changes people's lives meaningfully. Um, so I'm grateful to have the opportunity to just be there um, and get to know people in their journey. I, I And I guess the last part on that is just knowing people that want to grow and change the culture in our world is very I don't know if sedentary is the right word but kind of like like the the idea of putting yourself on a path to grow and become better than you are instead of just like a comfort zone type thing and I love that's one of the things I love about being in group and with other guys that are fighting for this because they're trying to grow and change and it's awesome to be with them and see their journey. Dallin just really quick I love what Jeff said about
3: the, the privilege it is to be part of people's stories. And recently I've just, I mean, um, legends like Seth and Brian, who've been doing this a long time, and I think even Jeff's been doing this longer than I have, but um, the the joy of seeing someone you've worked with transition into a mentor role and then start working with more people and, um, and start impacting more people and just watching your influence spread through through them um that's that's incredible too that's just recently started to happen to me because I've I've only been doing this about a year but uh yeah it's it's so awesome to watch that
0: so so on that note I like I said Brian was kind of the uh went from the uh, participant to apprentice to mentorship role while I was in group with him and I got to tell you when we did this mentor gathering here in Phoenix the person that I got most emotional overseeing was Brian because as soon as he became a mentor, like he said, he went and did the Saturday group thing. And and then giving him a hug for the first time, and I, I had never met him in person, but actually seeing him for the first time was really emotional for me. Because, like you said, seeing someone go from this role of they're just getting used to their recovery to, okay, now they're starting to lead these meetings and really step into a leadership role to, okay, now they actually really are a leader, they're a full-on mentor, and then they they just go away, and you're like, I, I haven't heard from them, I don't know what they, it's like they walked off into the mountains, and then like like the Sons of Mosiah, meeting up with alma the younger again that it's just this opportunity that you're going to be like hold on tell me your story tell me everything i want to know it all and it's just full of emotion and power because you've not only seen that they're still in it but they are thriving and that they are full of these awesome stories of success so i think the um, sons of
3: Mosiah is a perfect parallel i think that's yeah. excellent
0: yeah awesome absolutely agree all right let, let's jump into another question here um how has addiction recovery awareness changed from, from where it used to be? And where do you think it might go from here? I know this is kind of, a, it's, it's kind of like one of those business questions of like, how do you think the company's changed in the last five years? and where do you see it going in the future? But depicting that into something that's much more of a, an emotional or like mental illness type thing. Because mental illness awareness itself, I would say, has really changed over the past five to 10 years to where it's something that, and I'm not going to use the word normalized because it's not that it's normalized. It's that it's more widely understood by people. It's more people look at mental illness as like, you know, it's okay to tell someone that I have a therapist. It's it's okay to tell someone that I have to take medications for my depression, for my anxiety. It's okay to tell people like, hey, I've got this. I've got this problem with alcohol. I would appreciate it if we're going to be in this friendship that you never invite me to go out to a bar because that's, what's going to show me respect. And, you know, so people are now starting to put out boundaries. They're now starting to just be more open and honest and vulnerable about who they are as an individual and that they don't have to present this perfect idea of what people think they want others to see of themselves but they get to actually be who they are. And if others don't accept them, they're okay with that. They can just move on and find someone that will accept them. And I think that's been kind of the biggest leaps and bounds with mental illness and addiction and things like that over the past five years. Anyone else have any thoughts about that? Yeah, Brian.
2: Um, well, the I don't know if it's uh, region by region, but in my, in my home area here in North Texas, I don't know, with, within our church, right, we have this expectation, everybody tries to act like they're perfect, like there's nothing really happening in their lives, That's everything is all rosy and uh, unicorns and butterflies, and uh, um, when there's, everybody has stuff happening in their lives, right, so um, at least in my stake, in my home, uh, region here, there is a lot of general vulnerability like the the talks are more open like they're not talking about anything there's not any like hey i i did drugs and uh i am addicted to this it's usually talking about things that they've worked on right um and they're they're open about it and uh and i've been able to have that same experience sharing my history in my ward um i've even talked to people at work about it. And in society, porn is not a bad thing, right? It's pretty normal. It's it's very normal. They they think it's kind of abnormal when when you think when you talk about addiction and, and uh general society. But uh, it's it's something that's I think getting more and more traction that there there are some really really negative effects, even though it's normal. We have these uh, natural desires that that are God given, but um, we are asked to put a bridle on them, right? To, to rein in these passions and, and use them correctly. And so I think, I think it's becoming more normal. And I just wanted to back up a little bit. When I talk to somebody that's failed or feels like they've failed, even though, that they're, even though they're doing really well, I can see them in recovery. They think that they've failed. Um, and they share something with me that's really, really uh, painful for them. I can tell I've changed because instead of feeling judgy and like, oh man, why did, why do you keep screwing up? Like I have this swelling of, in my heart, like this, a mixture of pain and love for them pain, because they're, I know what they're going through and love because I like, it's, it's just something that I've developed over the years of working with these men, because I know them very well. Um, and even if I don't know them, they've come in and they're—I can tell they're struggling. I just ha- have this overwhelming feeling of love for them. Even when I was in my addiction, I was really judgy. Um, even with people that were doing the same thing as me, like, uh, and and uh, on, towards myself. So um, that's something that I have seen uh, change. There's more openness, and. Uh, less judgment and more love towards people that are struggling with these, these things.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of people, until they've walked a mile in someone else's shoes, they they are going to come off as more judgy. And it's, it's more judgy out of ignorance. It's not judgy, because they're, they're, you know, a rude individual, and they just want to shame people. It's, it's the whole concept of when family comes to you, and they say, just stop. And you, you know, that can sound that can come off as very judgy. But really, it's just ignorance. Because if you ask them, okay, can you help me stop? Can you tell me what to do? They're gonna be like, well, n- no, I'm not the one going through it. And it's like, exactly. And, and that's not that's not meant to throw it back in their face, but it's meant to show like, this is coming from a place of ignorance. You need to understand, I, I want to stop. I don't like doing this. I'm just in my personal journey of trying to understand how to stop, trying to gain the tools and the experience and the lessons necessary to where I can say, not only have I stopped, but I'm under control and I love who I am now. That doesn't happen overnight. When people come to you and they, they sound a little bit judgy, and this is to all of you that struggle with addiction, don't, don't get upset with people just because they want you to stop or they want you to change. They want you to change because they're coming from a place of pain. And that's something that we, uh, as those that are in a mindset of recovery, And have been doing this for a while we understand and we can see okay this person is reacting out of fear and pain and trauma that we've put them through. And so it's very easy to understand that but a lot of people who aren't at that level, they just see it as being attacked. When you're not being attacked both individuals the addict and the betrayed are just going through things very difficult things that are hard to process and hard to understand. So both parties kind of just got to approach it with an. An attitude of understanding and and kindness and non non judginess, if that is a good way to put it. But yeah, thank you for for bringing that up, Brian. Um, all right, w- were there any other thoughts? Yeah, Seth.
1: Well, and you know, I can only really speak for myself as far as this goes, but. For me, realizing and seeing how the roots of different addictions and different things all come from that we don't know how to cope with something, that we're all trying to deal with things that we don't know how to deal with, and we've unfortunately found bad ways to cope, bad ways to deal with them, and it gives me so much more compassion for other people because they chose something different, or they found a different thing to deal with it. Um, I have a buddy who has passed away now, and he ended up getting into drugs. And he and I were talking, but we could see the, the commonalities in our story, despite that we were dealing with very different substances, different things. But the roots went back to the same thing that we didn't know how to deal with the things that were going on, the feelings we were having, that we felt we had to do it on our own, that nobody else would understand. And when we realize that this is common to everyone, it's not just an addict that's dealing with these thoughts and feelings and these emotions. And that makes a huge difference. And one other thing I know for me was getting to a place where I remember the first time my wife shared our story and just as she start, as soon as she started to say, and I knew where the conversation was going, my chest just got so tight. I was so scared, but now I'll literally tell anybody and getting to that place of knowing that God knows me, that my wife knows me and that I know me And I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to hide. And that is where I hope we can help others get to is be real, be vulnerable and not, um, a couple of people have said it, not have to be perfect in everything. And that's where I think I'd love for, to see it go is that we all understand that we're all dealing with very similar things. We just have different ways that we've learned to cope.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a really popular quote that um, that I, I love and I think applies really well to what you just said. It's, uh, listen to understand, not to respond. And I think when we can approach conversations of vulnerability and these deep, intense kind of moments where people share a part of themselves, that's really hard for them to share. If we're thinking the whole time about how we can fix them and how we can solve their problems, we're really going to come off as... Um, not understanding and coming from a place that's going to be painful for that person who opened up to us because it's not anyone's job to fix anyone else. Even therapists don't say that they're there to fix people. They're there to help people understand what they're going through so that person can fix themselves. So when we listen to understand what they're going through, not only will we gain a better understanding and a more empathetic point of view, but we will be able to have a closer bond with that person where they can op- open up to us again. We've given them a, a relationship of safety um, where they don't have to feel like they have to hide things anymore. And that, that's the biggest thing. And And it happens with children that if you yell at a child for coming to you for something that they did wrong, they will not come to you again when they've done something wrong. But if you sit down and you say, okay, well, help me understand why you made this choice. Okay, let's talk about why it was a wrong choice. Let's talk about now what we could do better next time. Then all of a sudden they see the productivity in that discussion. They see that, oh, I'm not gonna get in trouble for coming to this person. I'm actually going to become closer to that person. And so I I just wanna reemphasize that quote one more time uh, from what Seth said, listen to understand, not to respond. So, all right, last question before um, we're gonna come back next week, and, and finish up this panel discussion. So the last question is, do you feel like there's anything still lacking in the field of sexual self-mastery? And is there anything you would add or change to make it better? And I know this is kind of similar to what you just approached, Seth. You know, people talk about um, re- recovering alcoholics and drug addictions and things like that. And there's been leaps and bounds in that field. But this this concept of sexual self-mastery that Maurice Harker likes to go around and have these firesides and do these conventions and does all these videos on this concept. But he's one of very few that are very openly out there talking about this concept of sexual self-mastery. You know, like, what what does that mean? And is there anything that still needs to be happening in this this understanding of this field?
1: Um, I think that people need to be more comfortable with it. And realize that this is something that everybody's dealing with. As far as you know, we all need to understand it. Um, I know that I talked to one of my leaders, and he uh, said nobody'd even want to. Nobody'd even want to talk about this with you, and uh, you know, he's like, "There's just too much shame around it." And you know, that's the problem: is we aren't talking about it. Everything's in the closet. Everything is hidden. And um, you know, the fact that we compartmentalize everything. this is who I am at church, this is who I am at home, this is who I am at work, as men a lot of times. And having that fully integrated life. But the biggest thing is is being willing to talk about it and being willing and able to have those conversations without being so uptight, scared, uh, uncomfortable because, That's part of the problem is when you feel completely uncomfortable, it goes nowhere. It goes sideways. And just having that comfort level as a society to talk about it.
0: Yeah, just understanding that going through these these feelings is a normal thing. God literally designed your body to have attraction, to have desires. And that is nothing that should be shamed. And yet so many cultures, especially, and I'm not talking about any one particular religion but so many religious cultures, especially, shame the desire to have sex. But God designed you that way, so why are we shaming it? So that's why, that's why this concept of sexual self-mastery is important, because feeling those things, there's nothing wrong with it. Going out and just loosely throwing out all these things toward anyone that will accept them, that's where there's a problem, where you don't, you don't try and reel it in or control it at all, and that's where you can get into trouble there's been a lot of hands raised. So I, I feel like we've sparked a little something here and I'm excited. Uh, Dallin, I think you had a question or a comment.
3: Oh, I just wanted to say, I think to, to reach that level of comfort that Seth was alluding to. Um, I think Maurice talked about it on your podcast actually a couple of weeks ago about these, these check-ins we can do with our children yeah, or with our parents or with our spouses and, you know, ask the question. Okay. We ask the question, maybe, you know, how are you doing emotionally? How are you doing socially? How are things at school? How, how are things spiritually? But how often do we ask the question, how are things sexually, you know, asking this question about um, sexual self-mastery? Uh, my parents are awesome, but I got one sex talk and I'm guessing that's pretty common for most people. Um, And it was kind of just like a, here's, here's how it works (laughs) type of deal. Not, not so much about, um, you know, how to, how to manage those urges in my life. I got a a slightly more in-depth one later in my life with my dad, but where, you know, I think, I think the right way to do it um, and the way my parents have expressed, they wish they had done it more is, is just these frequent, more casual check-ins, right, yeah. um, where it, it doesn't become this super intense and nerve-wracking and emotionally distressing experience to talk about um, this huge part of our existence, but instead it's it's just another element of our well-being that we need to be keeping in check and making sure it's healthy and cared for and that we can communicate to those people we love in our lives about sex and about our, our sexual self-mastery. So I think just increasing... Um, the light shed on this in in an appropriate and, um, respectful way. But I mean, sexual self mastery has become like a dinner table conversation almost in my house because I'm, you know, I'm a graduate. My younger brother's a general, my sister's uh, a graduate from, from daughters of light. Um, so it's just like, it's become, (laughs) it's become commonplace. And it's powerful, man. That's awesome. It's Super powerful. It's great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Will you pass the mashed potatoes? Oh, by the way, how's your porn addiction? <laughs> that's, new. that's, I'm sorry. I think that is absolutely amazing. Uh, Brian and then Jeff, you guys both raised your hands. What's up?
2: Yeah, it's just echoing a lot of what Dallin already mentioned. It's been mentioned before. It's, uh, I think a big thing is teaching the youth uh, what he- healthy sexuality looks like. Um, that it's not something to be ashamed of or scared of. Uh, they get separate messages. No matter, almost no matter what religion you are, you get one message at Sunday school, and then you learn you hear opposite thing at school, and there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding, and um. So, uh, I think that's that's a big direction that will help. Um, getting uh, that self mastery before you start to twist it in your in your own life. Um and and use it for for ways that are outside of your values would be something that's really important to accomplish.
0: Absolutely. Um. All right, Jeff. What was uh, what was your thoughts?
4: I feel like one thing that kind of just hit me as um, Brian was speaking was one thing that would really help. Maybe this isn't right. I, I guess in our society in general, like respecting God's laws would be really cool. Um and what I mean by that is I feel like one of the the challenges is that there's a lot of like the the idea of accepting who you are um, has kind of gone a little bit over the top and realizing like living the commandments of God is a blessing. And so like I don't know, just being able to talk about the all the different ones and I guess not being sh- I guess shamed also from struggling with them. I, one of the other things I really wanted to say was that, I have loved a lot of what Seth has said so far on this podcast. Um, as he has spoken, I, I've written some stuff down. I've really felt the spirit pretty strong. So, I, if you have, if you if you missed it, re-listen to some stuff that Seth said,
0: and you can feel um, the spirit in there. And Seth, I think you had one one more final point to make.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think everything in society is pushing that you should be interested in sex and sexuality so young, you know, they're pushing it into the, the little kids. And I know for me, I was in my mid-teens before I was really, you know, interested in girls. My wife has talked about how, you know, it was for her mid-teens before she was really interested in guys. I mean, you know, they were there, but it wasn't really of much interest. Um, and our daughter, recently came to us and said you know that she was worried that she was broken or that something must be wrong with her because she wasn't really interested in um you know guys yet and we're like no that is totally normal that is you know some people are earlier than others but there's so much in our society that's pushing that you should be dating and in a relationship as young kids and it really is setting a a lot of kids up for failure that's just my thought
0: so just just a couple days ago I was sitting down watching a tv show with uh with my daughter and you know there were teenagers in it and they started like they started kissing and doing things and she got this like fearful look in her eyes and I started having the dad panic moment like oh shoot what's going to happen and I, I paused the tv show And she looked at me and I looked at her and I was like, what would you do in this situation? And it turned into this opportunity to communicate that, you know, I wasn't just like, Oh my gosh, don't look like you're going to be corrupted. But it was like, okay, let's turn this into a real world situation. You're going to have a boyfriend obviously in the future and you're going to enjoy kissing. It comes on naturally. as, As you said, Seth, for each person in kind of their own individual time. And It's important for our our children and people to understand like, okay, not only understanding what they're feeling and when it happens, but to know what to do when that situation happens, because they've already gone through it in multiple conversations with people. And so, you know, just taking things like that, where we don't react out of, we don't like react in shock and fear and try and hide it from our children, but that we make it Part of their growth and understanding, and let them ask questions. So, um, okay, we're uh, we're actually gonna pause this till next week. Uh, There's there's about four more questions we're gonna go through. I am absolutely loving this, and I'm super excited to carry on this conversation. Thank each and every one of you uh, for showing up and for all the amazing insights. And gosh, this is just I'm just stoked to be a part of this. So. For all of you that are listening, if you have any thoughts, if you have any comments, please don't forget to reach out, share this episode, um, write down some things that you heard, and we will look forward to resuming this next week.